And now, the man born with the 5 o'clock shadow and with the NMLS number 2028201. He is a gentleman. He is a scholar. He is... Tyler Crawley. Welcome, everyone, to the Monday edition of the Markets and Mortgages podcast. I am the aforementioned host of this podcast, Tyler Crawley, and it is a busy week. Luckily, it's a slow Monday, but it is a busy week, so you need to prepare yourself uh, for some of the swings that we are going to be seeing this week. I think there's going to be a big, there's going to be a lot of movement uh, with regards to mortgage rates, mostly because last week was kind of kind of boring, kind of dull. We didn't see a lot of movement with rates. Ten year, I think, started the week. I think it was up five basis points. Started the week at around three point six nine, and then ended the week at about three point seven four. So about five basis points, and we're already off to a good start. The ten year is down two basis points before the open at 3.72%. But it is a busy week, so actually, you know what? Let's start with that. Usually, we save that for the end. But because it is one of those weeks where it's like, man, there's a lot going on, um, let's just talk about it. So today, uh, like I said, we got some rate lock data that we're going to be talking about. Not really going to move markets. Rate lock data is just uh, not not a big report. Uh, we're going to get government budget data later today. And then Altos's weekly report, so kind of a, a slow start to the week. And then things begin ramping up on Tuesday. We're going to get unemployment data from the UK, which, you know, can move things globally a little bit if there's a big surprise. But then at 8.30 on Tuesday, we get inflation data. Consumer price growth is projected to slow to 4.1%. That is down from 4.9% in the prior month and would be the lowest level since March 21. Remember, that's when things started ramping up was March 21. Um, one of the reasons why we're seeing this big drop, and I talked about this sometime last month when I was looking at CPI data at that time, is that if you go back and look at March and, um, sorry, not March, <laughs> May. If you go back and look at May and June, May and June of 2022, we saw big jumps month over month. Like I think one of them was almost a point and the other one was over a point. And so why that matters is that when you get the 12-month data, that data from the prior year falls off. And so you're going to just naturally have a drop in the overall headline number. And so that's why they are projecting a almost full point drop in that headline number, dropping to 4.1%. It doesn't necessarily mean anything is happening right now. It's more about what happened a year ago. And so that's why I think even if we do get that big drop, it's not going to be the relief that a lot of people are hoping for. Because once again, it has more to do with what was happening last year and the craziness of last year more so than um, any type of proof that inflation is falling off this year. So it's important to take that into account. So even if we see a big drop like that, you may not see 
a big move with regards to rates. So that's on Tuesday. Wednesday, we get GDP numbers from the UK early in the morning, 7 a.m. mortgage demand and rates. Then at 8.30, more inflation data. Producer prices are expected to fall, or slow, I should say slow, because they're still up year over year, to 1.5%. That is down from 2.3% last month. It would be the lowest level since December 2020. I mean, that's under the uh, Fed's target rate of 2%. So producer prices continue to see big, big drops. And that's also kind of having a similar situation from what happened a year ago. But the fact that producer prices have slowed potentially to under the target rate is that's encouraging. That is very encouraging. Uh, Also on Wednesday, the big, big, big story, Federal Open Market Committee will be announcing what they're going to do with rates. The consensus, overwhelming consensus, is a pause, keeping rates at five and a quarter. Anything other than that is going to cause a big move in the markets. Anything other than that. They decide they're going to raise rates. Uh Uh-oh. And then, amazingly, they decided to cut rates, which would be almost impossible. Um, yeah, that would that would be very very big market mover. Uh, and then later that day, ten o'clock, we get unemployment data from China. Always important to keep an eye on what is happening with China. Always important. Uh, Thursday, we get the European Central Bank announcement on what they're doing with rates. They are supposed to be raising by a quarter to move their interest rates to four percent. Always important to see what's happening around the world with regards to the bonds. Uh, And then retail sales are expected to fall 0.1%, which is down from the, or excuse me, is, yeah, down. There you go. I can't can't read my own notes. Is down from the 0.4% increase that we saw the prior month. Jobless claims are expected to fall a little bit to 250,000 after the big jump that we saw last week. And then uh, we'll get mortgage rate data, as always. And then the Bank of Japan is expected to hold rates at minus 0.1%. So always important to see what other central banks are doing. Gives you an idea of what's happening with those economies. And then uh, on Friday, nothing really happening domestically, but we will be getting some inflation data from the euro area. So we got a lot going on. We got some big central bank decisions. Most importantly, what our central bank is doing and the impact that's going to have. But there's a lot of other things, you know, CPI, PPI, retail sales that could move rates. And so that's why it's important to keep an eye on these reports. Uh, And, you know, this international data, if something crazy happens internationally, that is always going to have an impact on our markets. So it's, it is uh, it's a busy week. It is a busy week. So before we completely move in to the new week, let's just briefly talk about a report that came out at the end of last week. I think it came out on Thursday and I post about it on Friday. So I'm a little bit behind the eight ball. Is that, what, is that the proper use of that uh, phrase uh, on this issue? It's a report from the National Association of Realtors looking at affordable homes. And we know that inventory is a problem, especially where we are here in Southeastern North Carolina. 
I mean, inventory is non-existent. And I know it's a problem across the country. We are severely, severely limited with regards to inventory. So not surprisingly, not only is just inventory in general a problem, affordable inventory is an absolute nightmare in some places. For example, the report, for once again, from the National Association of Realtors, finds that the market is missing almost 320,000 homes valued up to $256,000, which is the affordable price range for a household earning about $75,000. So sort of middle income earners, there is a severe, severe shortage of homes for those buyers. And just to put it in perspective, middle income buyers can afford to buy just 23% of listings in the current market. Five years ago, that income group, almost 50%, or it was 50%, a little bit over actually. And so we have now seen a situation where there is now less than a quarter of the homes on market are available or are available, I should say affordable, to an important demographic, <laughs> uh, people that benefit the most from home ownership and the ability to create wealth with that home ownership. I mean, some of these numbers are like pretty amazing. For example, there's a chart uh, in the post. Uh, that was you know attached to the report it was not my not my chart, <laughs> obviously. But like, let's say you make like two hundred thousand dollars. There's twenty three percent of homes out there that you can't afford. <laughs> I mean, that's it's pretty good income. Two hundred fifty thousand. There's fifteen percent of homes out there that you can't afford. I mean, so you you look at some of these numbers. My favorite though <laughs> is. In the 500000 plus, and this is probably just because it's a math error, but if you're making over $500,000, so this is everything, they're saying you can only afford 99.9% of the homes. So I'm like, so is that because it's limited? Like you have to have infinite income to be able to afford that 0.1% of like, who are the people? No, no. And once again, this is not 500000 This is if you make over 500000 and up. So like infinitely. You, there's still 0.1% of homes that are outside of your, um, outside of your reach. <laughs> like I, that's gotta be like a math, just somehow the algorithm got kind of screwed up. Cause obviously that number should be a hundred percent. If everyone making over $500,000, there is no home that they can't afford. Um, that would make sense. Uh, so while the national inventory level has fallen, some areas it is even worse. I would say Wilmington, where I broadcast out of, is 100% in that category. Didn't make this list. But El Paso, T Texas, saw the biggest swing with middle-income earners able to afford 66% of homes on market before the pandemic. That number is now 16. A 50 percentage point swing in what three years a little over three years that's crazy uh boise idaho was second with a 48 percent decline in affordable homes to just two percent so they were 50 percent it fell to two percent of homes in boise idaho are available to people making about seventy five thousand uh, dollars spokane 
Cape Corral, um, or is it Cape Coral? Cape Corral, Cape, Cape Coral, excuse me. <laughs> I don't think that's Corral. <laughs> uh, they saw a 47 percentage point drop. So some big swings, big swings. However, the worst place in America to be a middle income earner, Los Angeles. Before the pandemic, 44% of homes, which actually surprised me. I thought that number would be a lot smaller. 44% of homes. Now, less than 1%. <laughs> I mean, there's just, I mean, that's, that's insane. Less than 1% of homes on market in LA can someone making about $75,000 afford. Now, all this negative data, there is some good news. Some good news. I always like to have some silver lining. Ohio, for some reason, there were four housing markets, according to this report. I mean, this is like, obviously, cities of certain size. Four housing markets that actually saw an uptick in affordability. So there's actually more homes available post-pandemic than there was pre-pandemic. So I'm not sure that's a good thing. I mean, does that mean people are leaving Ohio in mass or what's going on here? Uh, but Youngstown saw a six percentage point increase and now 72% of homes in Youngstown are available to middle income borrowers. Um, Akron was number two with a three percentage point increase. Toledo and Cleveland both were up one percentage point. So I guess if you're in that price range and you can work remote, move to Ohio. <laughs> There's a lot, of, a lot of options out there. Or maybe there's just no really rich homes. I don't know what the, the solution is. Um, Nadia Evangelou, the senior economist at the National Association of Realtors, said the housing shortage as, is twice as bad for middle-income buyers, saying even with the current level of listings, the housing affordability and shortage issues won't be so severe if there were enough homes for all price ranges. Our country needs to add at least two affordable homes for middle-income borrowers, for every home listed, for for upper-income buyers. Now, I would argue, and I've always argued this, that we should just build whatever. Inventory is inventory. Wherever it comes from, top, middle, bottom, build. Whatever someone wants to build, let them build because we will see the fruits of that labor. We will see the benefits throughout the entire, it'll ripple throughout the entire housing market. And I think it can get a little troubling when people are like, oh, no, we should only be building, you know, these types of homes. If people want to build something, let them build it. We just need inventory at this point. So, yeah, it's not surprising. I mean, we knew inventory was bad, but it's it's that bad for people in um, the middle income brackets. Really bad. Twice as bad. Uh, than it is for everyone else. Uh, Before we go, did want to let you know we got the rate lock data. We'll talk about this in more detail tomorrow. Uh, But good news, overall rate lock volume was up 14% month over month in May. However, the real reasoning, there were more days in May than in April. (laughs) They point out that uh, daily production was up a more modest 4%. But you know what? I will take that 4%. I will take that 4%. Purchase lock counts were down 38% year over year and down 29% compared to pre-pandemic levels. 
uh, the greatest difference from 2018 to 2019, yet as rates rose again toward the end of the month, the average purchase price rose for the sixth consecutive month to hit 454000 while the average loan amount rose to 360000 uh, And credit scores continue to remain near record highs. So not surprising. This is what we've been seeing. Um, we're still seeing loan quality rock solid, if not improving with these credit scores. Uh, loan amounts are increasing because home prices are not dropping despite continued drop in volume, even though we're seeing a, a little increase month over month when you account for the difference in days. Uh, but a little bit of an increase, but home prices continuing to hold because of the lack of inventory, as we just talked about. So we'll get into that report in more detail tomorrow once I have time to kind of break it down and, and look at all the data. But I think we can call it a show. That was good. Um, <laughs> that was the best show ever. Um, all right. Like I said, it's a busy week. So prepare yourself. Uh, tomorrow's going to be big. We're going to be talking about CPI data. That comes out at 830. So we'll be talking about it when the show starts. And then we're just going to be off to the races. It's going to be a busy week. But we'll also talk about rate lock data as well. And once again, taking a look at where rates are. They're up a little bit. But they're still down about one basis point. So starting the week off good. I like it. All right, you guys, enjoy your Monday. Like I said, prepare. It's going to be a busy week. We'll talk to you Tuesday morning for another edition of Markets and Mortgages. And remember, as always, do not wait to buy real estate. You buy real estate and wait. Wait.